Hello and welcome once again to the Dreamer Diary. This is Chris coming to you about uh, halfway into the month of January. If you can believe we're already halfway into the first month of this new year. It's crazy how fast time flies. I, I remember when I first had the idea of starting this podcast, uh, it was about, you know, maybe six months to maybe eight to 10 months ago where I thought about the idea of, you know, sharing my story of being undocumented, being a dreamer, going through the whole process. Um, what are the feelings that that one experiences as you navigate these things? And then once you become a citizen, like what are, what, what, what does it mean to become a citizen? And, and d- does your identity change? Do your views change? Are you still the same person? Like all of these th- different things were on my mind when I became a citizen last year. And so I was thinking about Wow, if I became if I started a podcast, who would listen to it? Would they even find any value in my story and my my struggles and and how how does that then help somebody somewhere listening to this podcast? So it's crazy to think that it's been, you know, 6 to 10 months that I first came up with the idea and did some research to see if somebody was already kind of providing this type of content. Um and I found that there are some uh that are kind of dabbling in it, but not to the depth that kind of I aspire to. So it's really cool to see that at the start of 2022, I'm able to provide this perspective, this story, this uh, this this version of the undocumented experience, one that I, I don't think a lot of people really consider or fully understand what it means to be an undocumented person in the United States, especially when one thinks about the fact that there's so many different variations to it, right? There's people who have who were brought over um, as young people, like like I was, to the United States. There's people who came on their own um, consciousness and and their own will, uh, and who, who who made that decision themselves. There are others who came here legally, you know, had visas, tourist visas, student visas, whatever. Um, and then chose to overstay their visa. And so now they transcended into the realm of illegalness or illegality or the undocumented um, identity. So it's really interesting um, when you consider the fact that there's so many different ways that a person can become undocumented. And I think a lot of the mainstream, for sure, media and then discourse and the discussions don't usually center around the the vastness that surrounds how somebody can become undocumented. Uh, Before I jump into the topic of today's podcast, um, that actually just brought into my mind, you know, a person that I had met when I was living in California, working amongst the deaf and hard of hearing community. I met a gal who she was, well, she's deaf. But when she told me her story, I came to find out that it was remarkable. So her story was she was brought into the United States uh, as a deaf person illegally, and she was sold as a sex slave. She was kind of tossed around the United States, sent to all sorts of different men, people who used her for sexual things. And this happened for many, 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 many years. And so the, the, the trauma that accompany, accompanies that type of an experience is one that uh, has st- stood with me to this day. And I thought about the fact that her story, you know, she was illegal, she was undocumented, was so different from mine. It was so unique, a story that I could not fully comprehend, first off, what it is to be deaf and to have that challenge of not being able to hear and communicate freely like you and I are communicating through this podcast. 
here was a person who was taken advantage of in many ways. And so when I met her at the time when I did, she was going through her own process of becoming a, a permanent legal resident. And she was able to kind of eventually get her citizenship as a result of, you know, everything that happened to her, you know, having been brought over to the United States, um, sold into sex um, and all that stuff. And that could be a topic um, that I, I, I could bring up, I could address. I, I definitely know people who are advocates in that community um, of women's rights, human trafficking and stuff like that, that, you know, if you guys find value in it, definitely it could be something that I could bring up at a, at a later point. Because I do think that this is a topic that not only extends to, you know, the, the female experience, especially for somebody like my friend that I had met, but it also extends to, to guys too, you know, and how a lot of men are also abused and also taken advantage of in this way. So if there's, there's enough reception, enough feedback, comments, people wanting to, to hear a podcast on this particular subject, you know, I can reach out to my contacts and see if this would be something that, you know, they'd, they'd be willing to, to go on this podcast and, you know, talk about some experiences that they might have had working with this, working around this particular subject. Obviously, you know, for privacy and stuff like that, they won't give names or anything like that. But, you know, if that's something that somebody finds value, uh, definitely reach out to uh, my email. I provided it previously, but once again, it is thedreamerdiary21 at gmail.com. And let me know if this is something that you would like to hear, and I'll just do some research and connect with, with my contacts. So on that note, uh, let's begin. So today's podcast topic is one that um, is really hard for me to to talk about for many reasons. First off, because it is very personal. And in today's world with social media, internet, digital, everything, less is more. The less you throw out there in social media, the less people know about you, the better off you'll be in the long run. And that's true. I definitely believe that that is true. But at the same time, I do believe that when we refrain from telling certain parts of our story, our life experience, especially those things that happen to us, not because of our own choosing, that impacted us in such a profound way, you know, that needs to be shared, right? Because you don't know how it's going to impact somebody else. You don't know if what you are currently going through and or potentially overcame could be something that somebody else is going through or needing help to overcome. And so your story, your experience could be that 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 tipping point to overcome a, a strenuous trial or something challenging. So for me, while I do subscribe to the idea of privacy and not saying uh, more than needs to be said, this particular story is one that I think needs to be shared. I do believe that um, my experience is one that might resonate with many people. And so I would encourage you, those of you listening to this podcast, to listen to the story. And if you know somebody personally who has either gone through this, something similar to this, or maybe you yourself went through something like this, you know, and could benefit from it, share it, share this podcast, share this particular subject, and hopefully it benefits them. And and we can have more discussions about what it means to overcome the undocumented experience. So on that note, Let's begin. So today's podcast topic is titled, Is Blood Really Thicker Than Water? And I think this will be my most controversial post. And I say this because those close to the story, those who lived it, will know exactly 
what I'm talking about and will know exactly who I'm talking about. And it's possible that it might infuriate some of them. But the reality is, this is a story that needs to be shared, an experience that was lived that hopefully should not happen again. But if it does, my story can benefit somebody in some way, shape, or form. So one thing to keep in mind is when you're undocumented and you have lived in the United States for as long for, for a long time, in my particular case where I'm 32 years old, so you know when you live in the United States for 32 years like I have, and you have family members who were born here in the United States, your family becomes something that is known as a mixed status family. And so if you don't know what that is, it is a family unit composed of both citizen and non-citizen family members. In my particular family, we were, or I guess we are, a mixed status family where both my parents, my older sister and I were born in Mexico and the rest of my siblings were born here in the United States. This presents a really interesting experience growing up because you have some who can't do anything because legally you're undocumented. What, what can you do? And then you have other family members who are experiencing a different version of the same life you're experiencing, meaning being raised by mom and dad. Only they can get a job and you can't. They can get a driver's license and you can't. They can go on school, study abroad trips, and you can't. And so you can understand how a mixed status family could create some tension in some households. And so in, in my family, as you know, my immediate family was mixed status, my extended family um, was all, is also a mixed status family. And so in my observations of both my family and of other mixed status families that I know, family members who... Um, our citizens might sometimes tend to behave in ways that are interesting. And what I mean by that is it's been my observation that some family members who become citizens and those family members who are not citizens uh, tend to have a unique relationship, meaning those that become citizens tend to act kind of in a dominant way towards those family members that are not citizens. And so what I mean by that is sometimes they will showcase that, hey, I can travel abroad. I'm going to go to Mexico on vacation or I can go buy a house while you're still renting uh, Lupita's garage, you know, that they converted into a little studio or something like that. It also means that sometimes they'll act like, you know, they can get a driver's license over those undocumented family members who might have to get get a restricted driver's license or not even get a driver's license or they'll spend money on flashy things whereas the other family member who is not documented or legal has to res- resort to other means of getting things and so you can kind of get the idea of what I'm trying to say is there's an imbalance that gets created I don't think it happens purposely. I think it just happens by chance. I think it just happens as a result of the circumstances. But nonetheless, I do think that this happens and I think it happens more frequently than than most people understand. And because due to the the nature of the family-based immigration system uh, that the United States employs, citizen family members that meet the criteria to petition for their non-citizen family members can do so and sponsor them. So what this does is it gives tremendous power to the 
to those uh, family members who are citizens. Because if the person who is a citizen chooses not to act as a sponsor, well, what can the non-citizen person do? I mean, if they have no one else to petition on their behalf, how are they going to attain legal status? I mean, really, they can just kiss any hope of attaining legal status through this family member out the window until either A, that person has a change of heart, or B, there's a legislation that changes that bypasses this particular requirement. And so if you find yourself that this is you, well, any hopes that you might have of becoming a citizen through a family sponsorship, I mean, you are really only left to sucking up to this person or people and hoping that, um, you know, they get a change of heart and are willing to sponsor you because sponsoring somebody is not an easy thing. And so this unspoken power given simply by being a citizen can be very damaging if the person who owns it cares very little for the person who needs it. And so therein lies the struggle with the story that I'm about to tell. And so when they say that blood is thicker than water, they're not referring to my family. You see, growing up, we never had a close family relationship with a particular side of my family who lives here in the United States. On the other side of my family, they're still in Mexico and have no desire to come and live in the United States. So because of our relationship with the particular side of the family that lives here in the United States, if I were to categorize it as anything, I would say it's tumultuous at best. I mean, we hardly ever hung out. We never, ever, really, ever, we never really saw one another. I mean, when we would get together, it was mainly to show off who had the bigger house or who went on the most exotic vacation. And several of my aunts and uncles on this side of the family earned their citizenship through marriage. And when they became citizens, their, their names changed to, be, to appear more American. <laughs> I remember thinking that one particular family member changed his or her name to appear more American or white. They changed their name from, and I'm just kind of going to, I'm just going to use this as an example, uh, just to not disclose who this person is, but they changed their name from Juan to John. Same thing, but one sounds a little nicer when it's actually white sounding. There's this kind of saying that goes, se pudieron cambiar su nombre, pero no pudieron quitarse el nopal de la frente, right? In English, that would translate to something like, oh, they're able to change their name, but they can't take the cactus from off their foreheads. Basically, what this insinuates is that even though you may change to try to be white, you will never fully be white. And that right there, that's a topic in and of itself, one that I'm not going to dive into on this particular episode. But to continue, my grandmother on this side of the family uh, was always distant from us. So growing up, we we knew her, she knew us. But because of you know how things played out growing up, we never really saw her. Um, and at one point in my youth, she actually lived with us. Um, but she preferred to drive 40 minutes each way to visit my cousins than to spend time with me, my siblings, my and my parents who lived just up the stairs. From her, this was almost a daily occurrence. One time on Christmas, we got a puppy for Christmas, and this puppy was probably with us for about a month because my grandma claimed that the dog bit her and she wanted it gone. She would criticize everything we did and who we, and who we were. She would always remind my siblings that they were fat or they were not pretty enough. She would compare me to my uncle her youngest son, and remind me of all the great things he was doing and that I needed to do the same. 
So to sum things up, my grandma didn't like us very much, and I never really knew why. The saddest part in all this was that this was the only family I have here in the United States. What's sad is that I knew my grandma in Mexico better than the one that was here, even though our conversations at that up to that point were only through letters and through phone calls. When my parents attempted to adjust their status sometime in the mid to late 90s, it was at the behest of my grandma here in the United States. She connected my parents to a person who was going around various Latter-day Saint churches in the, oh, I don't know if it was in California or Utah, but this person was going around trying to help undocumented immigrants adjust their status. Unfortunately, this person that my parents were connected to ended up screwing them over. This person stole a lot of information crucial to my parents' ability to adjust their status. I don't believe this person had any legal training, nor do I believe them to have had to to have been accredited to do so. But what's interesting is that during this time, you know, I was the only one who received work authorization cards and a social security number, and yet everybody else, my sister, my parents, did not. And as we looked into it a little bit more, we found out that um, they too were given these things, but this person had ran ran off with it, and so my parents were unable to do anything as a result of this and to kind of not go into detail as to their circumstance or their situation and if they've been able to do anything with it or not I'm not going to go into but the reality is this person screwed my parents over for many 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 years and so when this happened it was hard not to blame my grandma right because she connected us to this person so what this did was this severed any meaningful relationship between my family and my grandma. So for many years, my grandma did not talk to us, and I presume it was probably because of embarrassment for what had happened. She was no more a stranger to me than the person that sat next to me on the bus on my way to school. Out of the 32 years that I have been alive, I would say that she's been a part of maybe five to seven, give or take, of those years. So now that you understand the familial relationship with this side of the family, you guys are ready for the juicy part. So here it goes. So one day, my dad injured himself while, while doing some yard work. And being undocumented, we had no insurance, nor did we have money to be able to pay out of pocket for medical care. So my father dealt with his pain uh, and his injury secretly. His injury probably required surgery, but he never got it. I saw how his ankle would swell up nightly, and it would turn all sorts of purple and red, and it looked like it had been stung by a thousand bees. I mean, this thing was fat. And to make things worse, the job that he had at that time went out of business, where he worked there for many, many, many years. So he lost not only his ability to, to work um, at the job that he had, but he now had an injury that impeded him from being able to find a replacement job. He started to 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 do um, what he could, taking odd jobs here and there. And I and what was sad was he was able to get a job in landscaping. So I saw him leave very early in the morning, six, seven in the morning, come home, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, uh, whatever it was. And I, I would see him deal with his pain in private. And I knew it hurt him. But what could I do? 
I was barely like 10 to 12 years old at that time. And because you don't get paid much as a landscaper and he had seven additional mouths to feed, we ended up losing the house that we had. We had yard sales almost every week to empty out, empty out our house and we sold everything we could to pay the bills. And even then it wasn't enough. The house that my parents bought, it, uh, it went under, they had to declare bankruptcy and they lost the house. Things had gotten so bad that we had to move into the basement of my aunt's house. I must've been about 12 to 14 years, maybe 15 when all this was going down. And so I remember the fear of not knowing where we were going to live or if we were going to have enough money uh, to buy food to eat. And so when we moved in with my aunt, it gave us hope for a better future because it meant that I would be going to a new school in a better part of town. And about a year into living with my aunt, tensions were building. And this was because we were growing, you know, the my, my younger siblings, they were growing, our needs were changing, and it was difficult because my aunt at the time she didn't have any kids but she had a lot of people coming over and um you know she wanted to have her privacy and her her things right her space and to to have six kids running around you don't really get a whole lot of space or quietness and so that kind of just added to the the built up of of the tension and so at one point the tensions had built up so much that there was an altercation a fight that erupted in the presence of children me and my siblings out of fear of what had, what of what I had just witnessed, I called the cops and everything from that moment forward changed. Due to the nature of what had happened, the cops advised us to move out as soon as possible. So the next day, I set out to find us a new place to stay, which wasn't very far, probably a mile, maybe two miles away from my aunt's house. So we moved that same weekend. We were happy. We were happy in our new home because it was affordable it gave us space to grow, and more importantly, we didn't have to depend on anyone else. And when you're undocumented, these are essential. These are important. These are vital to your independence and your comfortability in this country. A couple of, uh, of months later, or after that, I received a letter in the mail from the state of Utah in which we lived that said that because the altercation took place in front of children, the state would be pursuing charges because uh, against my aunt as a result. If there's anything you should know about Mexican and Hispanic households in general, it is commonly known that, known that the firstborn son inherits the father's name. Well, my father and I share the same first name. And guess whose name appeared on that letter? It was mine. And a couple of hours after receiving this letter, my dad came home and I showed him the letter. No more than an hour must have gone by before our house phone rang. It was my grandma, whom we hadn't spoken to in years. She angrily asked to speak with my dad, so I gave my dad the phone. And although I could not hear the conversation between her and my dad, I could tell it was rough. My dad hung up and started to cry. He told me that my grandma chewed him out because she thought that my dad was suing my aunt. According to my dad, she said very hurtful things such as, You're a no-good son-in-law. I'll call immigration on you. You're the worst thing that ever happened to my mom. So when I heard this, I was upset. I couldn't understand how someone could say something like this without knowing all the facts. I mean, she wasn't even there. And yet she was saying things that you can't really come back from saying something like this. And so I was kind of just processing everything that was going on. 
And at that moment, the phone rang again. And once again, it was my grandma. Knowing now what she had said to my dad, I wasn't going to let her have a second round at him. When she asked to speak with my dad, I told her that if she was calling about the letter, she said yes. I then told her that it was not my dad, but that the state was acting on my behalf because my sisters and I were minors at the time of the incident and that the letter had been sent on my behalf, not my dad's. What happened next was unexpected and forever changed the trajectory of my life. My grandma said to me, quote, so you're the reason you are a good for nothing grandson. You are never going to amount to anything in life because you are the son of good for nothing parents. You are going to be exactly like all the other Mexican kids your age. You're probably going to get somebody pregnant, probably going to join a gang and be like all the other Mexicans, basura or garbage in English. I'm going to call immigration and come pick you up and your family. I don't consider you my grandson, unquote. I hung up the phone and I ran to my room and I cried because I couldn't understand how someone could say such mean and hurtful things let alone to her own grandson. Who was she to tell me what I could and couldn't become? How could someone so close and devout to the Latter-day Saint faith profess to love everyone like Jesus had taught and then go around and condemn me, her own flesh and blood, to be the scum of the earth? What gave her the right? Who was she to tell me my future and what I could become? For a long time, I thought this wouldn't faze me or that I wouldn't care if she died because at that point in my life, she was already dead to me. As a result, I began to harbor hatred and pure distaste for anything related to that side of my family. You see, to this day, the people that know my grandma view her as a saint. They put her on a pedestal of what an excellent LDS person should be without really knowing who she truly is. People see only what they want to see. And there's always two sides to every story. But all too often, people only hear the story that is the loudest. Because when you're undocumented, you don't have a voice. At least not a loud one anyways. So who's going to hear your side? So when I hear people talk about blood being thicker than water, I laugh within myself. I do think this is a true statement if you grew up with a family other than the one that I was given. The only person who can help change my parents' status is my grandma. And she knows this. To this day, she hasn't petitioned for her daughter, her only undocumented daughter. Not even my mom's near-death experience with, with COVID um, last year was enough to inspire my grandma to do something. Over a decade has passed since we first presented this request to her, and she still has yet to do anything about it. And if there's anything I've learned in life, it is that harboring hatred does you more harm than it does the person you hate. Because the bitterness slowly chips away at any optimism, faith, hope, and love that you might have for yourself. And then before you know it, you become as sour as the person you despise. And you see, I've never really been the type of person to hate anybody. So, on one occasion, I drove over to my grandma's house. And I left a note saying that I forgive her for what she had said and for how she made me feel. We slowly mended our tattered relationship. But as the saying goes... People do not really change. And once again, our relationship was torn because she did something similar again. To that side of the family, 
I'm viewed as a jerk. They think I'm stuck up. I don't really care what they think because they don't know me. And although I still hurt because of these events, I no longer allow myself to pity what happened. I'm learning that it's okay to put distance and boundaries on what you want to allow into your life. Part of my healing from all of this is making the changes in my own life to improve my future and the future of my family. So when I became a citizen last year, I removed their last name from mine. But I can't be all mad at what my grandma had said because it did serve a purpose. It gave me the drive and the motivation to become precisely the opposite of what she said I would become. You'll find it interesting that uh, that I'm the only one, her grandkids and so forth, that went on to serve a Latter-day Saint mission. I'm the only one who speaks three languages and I'm learning two more. I graduated with my associate's degree in, Amer- in American Sign Language. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in international relations with my emphasis in foreign relations and security. I graduated with two master's degrees, one in business, in business administration, and the second in diplomacy with my concentration in this study being economic development in Latin America and the Caribbean. I'm the only one in her family out of all the kids. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm the only one of her grandkids to have married within the LDS church, which is something that she finds extreme value in. I have a lucrative job working for a tech company in the biggest city of the world, New York City. I've gone on to visit the world. I've been to Taiwan, I've been to Japan, and I've met all sorts of people from all over the world. And so if you're listening to this podcast and reminiscing on maybe something that happened to you similar to what I just shared with you and or you've been hurt by somebody close to you, I'm here to tell you that it's okay to let go. It's okay to forgive because true healing starts with you. And like I've said before, this podcast serves to help us heal one another. So let the healing begin.